Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is The Shark. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe to the podcast on whichever device you use. I take it back. The Shark's not with me. I got Taylor the Impaler back, the creator of Warm Up Daily. Taylor, I'm going to give you this little little moment right here. Tell, tell them to go subscribe, man. What is Warm Up Daily? Tell them to go subscribe. Well, I, I was going to say I'm not Shark, but yeah, I'm glad you corrected it. Um, yeah, I am the co-creator, co-founder, along with my good buddy Mike there of the Warm Up Daily. It's sports news without the hassle. Uh, you don't have to listen to Stephen A. or Skip or any of those guys yell at each other. It's essentially a uh, two to three minute read each morning, a newsletter that arrives in your e- email inbox to just give you the high points of the day in sports without all the fluff, without all the arguments, without 45 minute discussions about Antonio Brown uh, liking and disliking Instagram posts. It's just the facts and figures without the fluff. We call it sports news without the hassle. It's the warm up daily newsletter at warm up daily and at warmupdaily.com. Go subscribe, people. I actually, speaking of subscribing, I actually heard Marquise Daniels, Ooh. former Auburn Tiger. Got to give love to the Auburn Tigers today. I actually heard he subscribes, so you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And Taylor at Taylor Damel, right? That's it. Keep it simple. We're sponsored by Blue Note, artfully crafted small batch bourbon distilled in Memphis and honoring the Memphis blues. Be noteworthy, Memphis. You know, actually, UCLA. Where do we go from here? UCLA gave us one more day of day of theater with their with their absolutely putrid basketball coaching search. But yes, now after they hired our man McCronin, now the theater is pretty much officially over. Good point. We'll we'll talk about little Mick there and, and the hire for UCLA and how embarrassed they really should be. But national title game, man! What a game! UVA Texas Tech. I think. Look, for anyone who's actually watched college basketball, I don't think that this type of game should have been a surprise. I think people just 
were upset or maybe they were taken aback that it wasn't a blue blood. It wasn't Kansas, Carolina, Kentucky, Duke. It wasn't any of those teams, right? But you still had two elite teams, two teams who played incredible defense. And within the first couple minutes, I think a lot of teams or a lot of people were saying, oh, look how great the defense is. Even I was saying that. But I think it was just nerves, man. I mean, you're playing in a national title game. Both of these teams are playing in their first ever national title game. And I think at the under four timeout, we had five total points. But, man, it turned into a dandy. Well, I think I don't have the stats to back this up, but I think this is how a lot of national championship games start off. You know, I mean, obviously yeah. you would be nervous. I would be nervous. And then often we forget that these guys are like 19, you know, so they're playing in front of 70,000 people in an NFL arena. Uh, yeah, obviously you're going to be nervous. So, but yeah, it is exactly, I'm going to actually quote my mom, shout out Michelle Dammel when she texted me and she said, this is what national championship games should be like. Those were her words. That's great insight right there. So, and it is, it, it, it literally was everything you wanted after that kind of slow start. I mean, you had a, a, a totally normal score, even though it went to overtime yep. in 85-77. Nobody would complain about the pace, I think, after that. Um, kind of the more talented players of the game, the NBA players in the game, had a slow first half. But in the second half, they picked it up. DeAndre Hunter had a career-high 27. And Kyle Guy had 24. Uh, DeAndre Hunter's the vast majority of those coming in the second half. So, yeah, I mean, it is it doesn't take an expert or a guy that watches a ton of college basketball to say, hey, this game was a hell of a game. Yeah, we had theater, point blank period. It, it would have had every single element, like Michelle said, that you want in a national title game. We went to overtime. It was competitive. It was back and forth. There were runs. There were chunk runs, right? So Texas Tech would go down seven. They would come back, cut it to within two, maybe even tie the game. And then vice versa. Texas Tech would be up four or five. And Virginia would battle back. I think Virginia ended the game on a 7-0 run, maybe an 11-2 total run. I Just like what. they've ended every game this tournament. And it's insane. I, I think Big Cat had an incredible stat. I'm sure he got it from somewhere else as well. But yep. there were the three games, right? Purdue, uh, it was Purdue, Tennessee. No, who did it? was Purdue, Auburn, and then this game. Yes. They were down, they were down like three and four points with seconds remaining. They were down four points with 16 or 17 yeah. seconds remaining against Purdue, if I remember correctly. And they won. And, and, and a lot of people, I think Chris Beard said it best, a lot of people <laughs> want to say that UVA was just a team of destiny, obviously, after last year's choke. And then this year they come back. They never died. Team of destiny. I think Chris Beard just said it best. He's like, they're just really fucking good. Like, they are really, really good. The only one seed left remaining, and I was wrong about them. I was wrong I about will, oh, I, oh, man. Yeah. Mm. I didn't think I, I after especially after those Duke games when they didn't even play against highest or Trey Jones, excuse me, and they still lost those games. I was like, they're not winning big time games. And then when they lost, I think it was against Florida State in the ACC tournament. They're not winning big time games. And yet I still picked them to the final four, but I thought they were going to lose to Kentucky, who never even got there. And then Virginia just went on and they almost collapsed again. I think this is uh, – it should be forgotten, but they almost collapsed in that title game. They were up 10. They were the better team for a decent amount of that game. And then all of a sudden, Texas Tech came roaring back. They were up three with 12 seconds to go, and then DeAndre Hunter hits the greatest shot in UVA history. has to be. Well, and not only do – 
they does Texas Tech come back, but and Virginia comes back with what three down with with twelve seconds left, but they came back and still won the game and even turned the ball over after that shot. I mean, because that timeout mismanagement between uh, was it Diakite who had the ball and he tried to pass yeah, it to Kyle yeah. Guy. I mean, they straight up threw the ball out of bounds with a minute and a half or a second and a half left, and they still survived. You know, in the Purdue game, Carson Carson Edwards brings it to overtime, but he misses the first free throw, and it hits the two to go to overtime. I mean, there's not only did they come back with from that these times down, with you know no times no time remaining virtually, but they also had the other team had to make mistakes. Like on top, it was just a, a whole big, uh, I, I guess. Uh, uh, conglomeration of things that had to happen, you know, and it's actually, while this was going on, I was thinking, or the final four was going on as a whole, I was thinking the point that uh, Shark made last week. And it's that sometimes it's just your time, you know, and I know you said, well, they're just really damn good and they are really damn good. And I don't necessarily subscribe to the team of destiny type of stuff, you know, but like he was saying last week, sometimes it's just your time. And I think Virginia has proven over the last three games that like, if you wait long enough, if enough, at some point, if you swing enough times, you have to make contact at some point. And really that's what happened here with Virginia. Cause I don't, I can't remember a team and it's not luck. It's not luck. That's not what I'm trying to say, but just everything breaking correctly in the right circumstances uh to propel them to a championship even like the call where uh the ball got pushed out of bounds there and and it may or i was not a huge fan of the call because it's like what are we zooming in from a million feet away on a whatever whatever you know maybe it slid off his pinky maybe no, in it. Not, not whatever we're about to dive the fuck into that all <laughs> okay, right great great I'm, like, I'm getting your point off and then i'm gonna put some people in a press well, no, i mean that's about where my point ends it's just everything that needed to break and i'm not blaming the refs i'm not blaming any other teams i'm not blaming i mean just sometimes it is your time and and um you know, obviously the redemption story is cool. Uh, I, you know, full disclosure, I was rooting for Texas Tech, uh, but I, it's you can't deny how uh, entertaining of a story it is for Virginia to come back after last year's disappointment and then um, uh, this year to happen. And one more thing before we dive into the refs there, and that is I last appeared on this program on February 5th or 6th, where I was right. I said Michigan State could still be a Final Four team. But where yeah. I was dead wrong was, nah, Virginia, they're never going to do this. You know, they they can't win the big game. They're never going to get there. And clearly, that was a large misstep on my part. Well, that's all right. Because I, if you asked me prior to the bracket coming out, would I think Virginia gets to the Final Four? I'd probably say no. But then I looked at the matchups and I was like, they can get, this is a pretty easy bracket. Yeah, right. They can get to the final four. And then from there, it's going to ratchet up. And that's essentially what happened. I mean, even they, they were down 14 against Gardner Webb, but uh, you, you pretty much. Oh looked- boy. I was on my feet. I'd like 9am in the morning on a weekday yeah. like for Gardner Webb to do it again. But I think Tony, Tony Bennett, he was on the Dan Patrick show this morning. Second Dan Patrick graphic, actually, he should be paying us, but he goes, he goes, yeah, when we were down six at halftime, down 14 earlier in the game, I told the guys, don't panic, but you got to fight like hell. And so what that kind of resonated with me was that he's shitting his pants. Like he can't tell what it seems like I'm shitting my pants right now, but he's clearly, he was clearly, he had mud butt, man. Like he cannot lose two years in a row to a 16 team 
but you can't also say I'm panicking right now. I'm going insane. So he coded it by saying, you guys got to fight like hell, AKA pick it the fuck up. Tony Bennett is a cool cucumber, man. He is one of the greatest guys. And if you hear everything about him and everything that he, he talks about, it's never about winning. Winning is never paramount, but he might have, he should have been forced to retire if they lost to that Gardner Webb team. But oh. it, it didn't happen, right? They, yeah. they won yeah, the title. A, there's a heck of a lot of could have, should have, would have in this tournament for Virginia to have gotten where they got to. So let's dive into that because, like I said, I'm happy for this Virginia team. They deserve it after, after that fiasco last year. What a turnaround. Incredible turnaround. Okay. And you mentioned that they needed things to break their way. And a lot of that came from, I would say, a poor play design by Texas Tech with that second and a half left. Uh, and Braxton Key blocked Jared Culver, right? You look at the Carson Edwards missed free throw, or maybe it was Ryan Klein. I forget. But they also got away with a lot of big-time fouls that went in their way, in their favor. The Kyle Guy one. And we have Mike Burgomaster, Associate Director of Basketball Operations for Auburn, coming on the program for an interview. And – he was very diplomatic with his answer. Bruce Pearl was incredible with his answer. I forget which player it was for Auburn, but he said, hey, they're the best refs. That's why they're here in the Final Four. You can't question them. Even Charles Barkley was diplomatic with his answer. Oh, my God. The maturity was really pissing me off. Because I'm, sitting, I'm sitting <laughs> like, here. come on, Chuck, lose it, man. Lose it. Well, I, I mean, I thought that was the biggest surefire thing that was going to happen. I thought Chuck was going to go insane and rip the, the refs a new asshole. It never happened. Because I'm looking at that play. Kyle Guy didn't get fouled. And maybe maybe in a regular season, like in a pre- preseason NIT, maybe in Maui you call that, right? You don't call that in the final four. The guy barely jumped. He barely – like he knew. He, I, I guarantee Bruce Pearl had practiced that scenario in practice or told them, look at what happened to Tennessee. Look at what happened to pretty much any other team. Look at what happened to New Mexico State versus Auburn. That, that, that game, like Auburn got, got a big-time foul in the first round. They almost right. lost. Right. I guarantee you Bruce Pearl was telling his players on a closeout, like maybe not even challenge, just make a miss. And it was Kyle Guy, and there's a little bit of contact, man, but I got a serious bone to pick with that call. You know, I thought it was interesting that – Virginia to send the game to overtime was given essentially a, you know, in the championship game last night, a wide open three from DeAndre Hunter on a, on a play that you, you, you need to give up the layup there and cut three, you know, that's, and I just, I, I don't know the necessary, the words to describe it, but I thought it was very interesting that here you go, that the previous game, it was the most controversial foul. And then the next game, it's the most wide open shot you could you could have in any point of the game, and I, I'm not saying those two things go together necessarily, but I just thought it was kind of uh, uh, an interesting uh, tale there to say that okay, this guy on a closeout contested got fouled, but then the next game the team doesn't choose to close out, and there's a miscommunication, and it's the most open shot ever. I'm not saying that one was designed. Hey, don't look for this or look for that. You know, I just thought it was kind of a, an interesting uh, a play there that they. It couldn't be two opposite things to happen to him, and yet they both it both worked out well for Virginia. That's for sure. No, I agree. For, for as good as Texas Tech's been on defense, that was that was just. It's tough to ask players at that level to 
not challenge the shot. But, but you got to know situation, and they're up three. Give up the layup, man. And you can't. I mean, you can't leave leave like Diakite or Jack Salt out there, maybe. But yeah. DeAndre Hunter, who's red hot at this point in the game, it's tough. And, and so that's look. Not taking anything away from Texas Tech, I love the way they battle. But that was that, literally, literally probably the one defensive mistake yep. that they made the whole game. You know? Like all fucking year, maybe. Yeah, like, right. Exactly. They're such a good defensive team. But, okay, we talk about the Kyle Guy foul. Then we go to this game, the title game. Davide Moretti, okay, and, and I'm going to get to the – I'm not even talking about the, the one where it was tipped out of bounds by right. D. Kite. Right. D. Kite, and actually, Davide got on the bad side of – Diakite twice. So in overtime, I think they were up three at this point. Kyle Guy is dribbling towards the corner. Diakite looks to be setting a screen and he trips Kyle Guy. I mean, it's pretty goddamn obvious. Yes. Yes. Those two hit their, like, his Diakite's shin hit Kyle Guy and he goes flying. And they call a foul on Moretti. And, like, you know when sometimes it's tough to see it in fast live motion? But when you slow it down, you're like, how in the world did they miss this? Because from some shitty angle in my bed, right, I can, like a Zapruder film, grainy, <laughs> I can see that this is, this is clearly, you know, friendly fire. Right, it's right. not on Moretti. And he gets called for a thought. I think they went, and Kyle Guy goes to the line, he's goddamn automatic. So that's, that's another thing. That, what were your thoughts on that? Well, uh, that, that also, it just reminds me of the fact that, uh, didn't Kyle guy or not Kyle guy, but who double dribbled uh, no. in the yeah. previous game to get to the past? <laughs> right. um, yeah, you know, and I don't want to bring up the other play, the tip out before this play, but it's kind of it, it's it's frustrating that we see these things on replay, and you're like, oh well, we'll correct that, but we won't correct that, and it, and I know there's no real way to get around it. You know, we can't just re- replay every single play of the game. But it's like, oh, so we're not going to call that foul, but we will call the ball out of bounds on this guy, or we're not going to call the foul on this guy. You know, I mean, it, it, it's it sucks, for lack of a better term, that the replays, well, they should be getting them right, but I'm not even sure if they're getting them right on replay. But, you know, that if we're going to do this, it's like, oh, well, we're actually, we don't really care about that, even though the the play one second before it will have just as big of an impact on the game. We're only going to review this part. And I'm again, not saying that they should change replay. I'm not, no, I don't know if there's any other thing you can do about it other than just, you know, complain. Like I would like to continue to do about all the calls that Virginia got during this tournament. Yeah. And we sound like we are just crybabies at this point. And maybe we are, I don't know. If I was a Texas tech fan, I'd, I'd be a little upset. It's tough. It's tougher though, to make your claim when, you kind of got ran towards the, I mean, they lost right. by eight, I think. So these points really may not have made up anything. I think Virginia was the better team, but if I was a Texas Tech fan, I'd tell myself to go climb a tree. But you talked about that Moretti Diakite play with the ball that got swiped out of bounds in the entire history of this beautiful sport that we call basketball. That is out on Diakite. Every like that almost always happens that it just barely grazes the ball handler's hand. Like if you really want to, actually, I should have used the Zap Ritter reference on this one. Yeah, actually, that would be the better. Yeah, right. They did it like frame by frame by frame, man. 
And it was just, uh No, it, I, I saw a great tweet, uh, and it was, and I can't remember by who, but it was that, okay, the only reason the ball is even headed towards the out-of-bounds marker is because Diakite hit it. Like, swiped it out of his hands, pushed out of bounds, right? And so it seems a little, um, I don't know, a little... Uh, half full or something, I guess, to, to, to say like, okay, yeah, but it actually went off the other guy. And it, I, I don't even know how they decided that that could be overturned because it didn't, I mean, I guess you could argue that it went off this pinky, but again, it's like, it's from the grassy knoll. It's from the flyover yeah. camera whatever. And we're zooming in and even Gene Steratore who didn't get any of the calls, right? Like he's looking, I'm looking at the same replay he is. And I'm like, Gene, there's there's no chance that you're saying you're watching you like you must be watching a different angle or something like that. But I, you know, he brought up a great point. He said there is some kind. Sometimes there's some distortion when you slow stuff down so slowly, and the ball, you know, you're moving this way, you're moving that way, and and I think he's right. You know, you can't, especially your pinky is how wide, like as wide as my the cord for your headphones is, and you're gonna say you're gonna be able to zoom in that far and say oh this is definitively changed to the other direction now that, that decided the game more or less or you know was at least on yeah. the path to one of the last steps of deciding the game right there no i mean it's just not in the spirit of the, of the game right like right. if you really wanted to well, grant that granular i guess you could but that's lame but again this is going to sound like uh not making excuses but making excuses like hug for virginia man oh 100%. they every i i i said this yesterday in the group chat they would be the worst team to be a fan of i don't know how virginia fans do it man because last year like even no let's go back a few more years that great team with london parentes and like joe harris i think was on the team mike my not mike scott uh justin anderson i think was on the team he was at the game last night yeah, it should have been. But they lose they lose to Syracuse in the Elite Eight. Blow blow a big late lead. Right? I think that was 2014, maybe 2015. 15, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, right. And then this year, right? This year, down six and fourteen to Gardner Webb. Down late in all of those Elite Eight, Sweet 16, Final Four games. Even against Oregon, yeah, the Sweet 16 game against Oregon, they didn't look that impressive. It took a while. Like they put their fans through the goddamn ringer. And then the title game, they're up 10 with a chance to like step on Texas Tech's throat. And it has to go to overtime. And and again, it has to be repeated down three. It took a monumental, heroic, legendary shot from DeAndre Hunter to even force overtime. And I think they deserve to win with ease at the end there. I think those fans have just been put through an absolute meat grinder the past four years, regular seasons where they only lose three or four games total. And then they just can't get it done in the tournament. And actually, I think it would have been so goddamn cruel. So cruel. If Virginia came all this way, led by 10 in the title game, and then DeAndre Hunter misses that shot. I think that would be the part of it all, man. Because, like, you well, at least Tony Bennett got his final four, but Jesus Christ. I think I said this to you last night, and that is, could you imagine the just the mental strain or 
brutality it would be to lose to a 16 seed one year and then lose in the national championship game yeah. next year. It's wow. like it's it is the classic argument of what's worse to not make the tournament or to lose in the national. You know, there's it's like there's no there's no wrong answer, there's no right answer. Just to you're in tears both ways. You know, I mean that's that's literally the only way to put it. Um, I, and it's just the grind of their and we can kind of feel this. Um, as Arizona fans, because Sean Miller and Tony Bennett are the two pack line, like OGs. And that is not only are you um, having to defend your coach and all of this as the team fit teams, failures, kind of not failures, but whatever lack of championships and stuff uh, stack up, but you also have to defend the style of basketball play bass college basketball is changing. You got to speed it up. You got to, you know, you got to play less defense. You got, you need all this, all that. So not only you're defending your team, you're defending your coach who is being doubted by everybody. You're defending the style of play. And then when you have those tournament losses, like Virginia's had, you, your doubters or your haters or whatever you want to phrase have all the ammunition, all the leverage, and you have nothing other than just your unbiased or your, your unabashed, like faithfulness to your school that you decided to go to when you were 17. You know, like you, okay, I signed up for this 10 year, 12 years ago. I didn't even realize what I was signing up for. And that's all I have, but I'm defending it to, you know, the death, at least like the North Carolinas and Dukes of the world. You're like, well, we're up, we're playing fun basketball. We got this, we got that. You know, people were like, yeah, okay, cool. Like Duke's still getting so much love after the tournament. Yeah, Zion, oh, he's sick. If you're in Virginia, if you lose, you're still getting hated on today. We're hating on them almost a little bit right now and they won the championship, you know. They're still having to defend the style, the coach, all of that type of stuff. So yeah, last night couldn't have been a bigger sigh of relief for every Virginia fan from Ralph Sampson on down to a freshman in college right now. I think I have to go out on a limb and say that last night's game was a must win for Virginia. (laughs) If there's a must win in the championship game, yeah, that, that might be it because then if you lose, you're, you're the defensive team in college basketball and you lose to the, another defensive team, which means that you don't even, your brand of basketball isn't even the best version of your brand of basketball. So, yeah, you might be yeah. right. Well, I mean, that was tongue-in-cheek, obviously. I will say, like, if you were to ask someone who's, or does this game matter more for Texas Tech or Virginia, clearly Virginia. Oh, I mean, Texas Tech was playing with house money. Oh, they're building a statue for Chris Beard right now. It's going to be, they're going to have a statue on Old Town, or on Old Town, on Texas Tech's campus of Lil Nas X, Billy Ray Cyrus, and uh, Chris Beard for the the Old Town Road team, Texas Tech 2019. So goddamn classic that Virginia, and I'm going to go back to hating on Virginia. Jesus, I just, I I guess I can't help it, but (laughs) so classic that they completely robbed us of a national title winning team. Streets of Lubbock going crazy, blasting Old Town Road. Patrick Mahomes potentially blaring Old Town Road. Lil Nas X maybe just showing up. I mean, Virginia is just so bland, and they completely robbed us of that. You know, there was a tweet, a pretty obscure tweet, and I I didn't look into it anymore, but when down 10, or they weren't down 10, but they went on a 10-0 run, apparently at that under four timeout, uh, Old Town Road is what they played during the under four timeout. 
in the stadium. Wow. And then Texas Tech went on that 10 to nothing run. I, <laughs> I can't speak to if this is accurate or not. I do just remember reading that tweet or maybe a tweet or two about that. And I faintly thought I had heard it at the time too, but I was whatever, just in the moment of trying to listen to uh, our friend Jim Nance there. And I thought I heard it, but then a couple people tweeted about it. And I was like, oh man, that has to, it had to be what it was. And it is just absolutely criminal that we didn't get the, I mean, I, you could have been, you could have replaced one shining moment with an old town road shining moment after the game. And it Lubbock would have burned down. I would have been ecstatic personally. <laughs> I can't, I, I can't agree with you there. I'm sorry. <laughs> one shining moment is sacred. Okay. And I take that back. You're right. You're right. You're right. Actually, you know, you're like another one. Not not to, di- not to dive too far into my personal life, but I I 100% made my girlfriend stay up just to watch yeah. One Shining Moment last night. Yeah, the channel cannot change until I get post-game interview with on the podium with Jim Nance, a little wrap-up of highlights with Kenny, Chuck, and Greg Gumbel, One Shining Moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Let's wrap it up here with a couple of items real quick. Mick Cronin officially hired as UCLA's next men's head basketball coach. What a circus Dan Guerrero is running over there as the AD for UCLA. They haven't had a head coach since December. Murray Barto or Barto, whatever the fuck. A hundred days. A hundred days. Thank you. So much egg on their face. They tried to lure Calipari. Instead, he got a rate. He leveraged them, got a race from Kentucky. Lifetime deal for Kentucky. Same thing happened with Rick Barnes in Tennessee. Rick Barnes just used them for leverage, and he's back in Tennessee. Look, Kentucky's clearly a better basketball school and job than UCLA. If you told us during the Kevin Love, Russell Westbrook era, even when Tennessee was pretty decent with Bruce Pearl, you know, what's a more high-profile job, what's a better job that you want? It's UCLA every single day of the week, twice on Sundays. The world has changed, man. I. I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I know that we, it's hard for us to not be biased. I know it's hard for me to not be biased because UCLA is my A1 most hated rival, well above ASU, even in the basketball world, at least um, with, with Gonzaga in there as well. But UCLA, if you're not, if you're under the age of 60, UCLA do- doesn't mean anything to you. It just, I mean, seriously, it just does it. And I, I, there's nothing at this point that you, that you could convince me otherwise. There's no way. Because you can't tell me that, like, Jamie Dixon and Rick Barnes and Calipari is one thing. That's fine. But, like, you're supposed to be – you're in the most f- fruitful basketball recruiting ground in the country. You don't have to go five miles outside of campus and you could field a top 25 team with just kids from that area every single year and they could leave and you could just refill those players and you could, you almost have to try to not be good at UCLA unless your name just doesn't mean that much anymore in the college basketball world. If you're 17 years old, what the Kevin love, uh, Russell Westbrook era was what? 2007, 2008. So if you're a recruit, you were five six years old, they're kind of like what you and I used to always have the discussion about Miami football and Miami football is back quote air quotes back, but they're not the U 
they just aren't the U. They had their little fun time right. of having the turnover chain, but they are not. And I think UCLA is kind of like that now where it's like, if you're a 17 year old recruit, shoot their last national championship game. These recruits, parents barely cared about that. That was in 1995, you know, and, and I, I just don't see, I, I, I just don't see Mick and UCLA having any further success. I think it's an oil and water mix. I don't think Mick's style is, is going to, uh, be very loved there in in LA. I think I think of LA as more like the free flowing. Let's shoot. Let's shoot the three. Let's do this. Cincinnati and Mick Mick Cronin. Let's yep. grind this out in the cold Midwest winters. Yeah. Okay. Nobody wants to grind on the beach. Okay. <laughs> that's that's kind of my overwhelming thought on that. Well, I'm 100 aligned with you, and it just gets worse for basketball fans in Los Angeles because. Magic Johnson. Actually, it might have gotten better. Magic Johnson just stepped down as, uh, what is it, president. This is a real tweet from Woj right now. And I had to like triple, quadruple check that I wasn't getting a tweet from Barry McCockner or someone like that. <laughs> Quote from Woj. I'm looking at the check mark. <laughs> Lakers coaching staff fully expected to be fired in hours after the final game of the season, which is tonight. They had believed they were gone for months. Now, Magic quits in public, saying he's too scared to tell Jeannie Buss face-to-face. What an embarrassing episode for a historic franchise. You know what? I I, I hate to say this, and, and I don't know. I don't hate to say this, but are the Lakers approaching, like, UCLA levels? Like, like nobody wants to nobody wants to be in Space Jam 2 with LeBron. Everybody's turning him down. Free agents, unless I could be very much this getting an old takes exposed uh, segment in four months here. Yeah. It doesn't really seem like the free agents really care about playing there anymore. Uh, I know it's the Lakers. I know they're the second most historic franchise in the NBA. Shout out to you guys, I guess, on that one, Sue. But I just don't, I mean, in, in today's NBA, you don't have to be at one of like the five big franchises to be the man. Giannis Antetokounmpo is is the man at maybe the smallest market in the whole country. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I I've said for a number of years now that I don't think magic and Rob Palenka were the answer there. And I thought that our boy Luke Walton was going to get fired for no reason. And apparently this is all coming to a, a crashing fruition. Let's call it. I know this is a college basketball podcast, but man, that ending, ending the college basketball season on UCLA, hiring Mick Cronin after having to settle for Mick Cronin after going after Calipari and Rick Barnes and then magic stepping down because he's too afraid to tell Jeannie bus. <laughs> just, just the peak for me. I mean, <laughs> it is just, this, this, this is how you round out a college basketball season right here, man. With a little, with a little sprinkling of NBA embarrassment as well. I'm glad I could be here and witness it live and in color here soon. I appreciate it. Well, without further ado, let's go ahead and get to our interview with Mike Virgomaster. Fantastic interview. Guy's hilarious. Uh, just loved it. Love, love Virgo. And for a little context, I used to coach him back, back in the day. Me and the Shark used to coach him. So uh, I also asked him a little bit about how much influence I had on him. Spoiler alert, it's 100%. <laughs> without further ado, Virgomaster. All right, we're now joined by Assistant Director of Operations for the Auburn men's basketball team, Mike 
Virgo master Virgo. I got to tell you, man, it took every fiber in my being to not introduce you as Westford legend, Mike Virgo master, eight, eight, six legend, Mike Virgo master, final four attendee coach, Mike Virgo master. So I'm sorry, dude, I had to have some sort of decorum and professionalism there. So is it, are you cool with me addressing you as assistant director of operations? Yeah, man, that's fine. I mean, I don't think I ever did anything enough to become a Westford legend or anything like that. So, yeah, you just you can just call me about whatever my title is now. I don't know of anyone else who's made a Final Four from Westford, so I think you're you're up there now, dude. I mean, you know, I hope so. I hope I'm I hope I'm representing Westford a little bit. You know that you know that means a lot to me. <laughs> so, I mean, in all seriousness, congrats on an absolutely incredible run, Burgo. Because every single year in the tournament, there's a darling. And I think me and Taylor can both agree, Taylor, unless you have any reservations, that Auburn was that darling as the five seed, right? So I got to ask you, though, did you have any idea that this team could make a Final Four while knocking out Kansas, Carolina, and Kentucky? A Kentucky team they lost to twice. Yeah, I mean, if you had had asked me at, you know, a certain point during the year. Um, I, I probably would have told you there's no chance. You know, there, there's a point during the year where we were, you know, seven and seven in the SEC um, coming off a pretty brutal loss at Kentucky. And, um, you know, if you'd asked me right then and there, I, I, I wouldn't have been so sure, um, you know, but after that game, you know, what was one of the most impressive things about this team is, you know, they didn't, they didn't necessarily change, right? Like sometimes you have sometimes you have brutal losses like that throughout a year, and it, it kind of changes the fabric of a team. And and this team really didn't. They they it almost kind of made them buy into what we were doing even more. Which I, I don't even know exactly why that happened, but um, you know we we kind of just really dove into our style, and you know we were you know as you guys saw throughout the year, we were really unapologetic. You know when it came to th- shooting the three ball, um, and you know. We, we kind of had some identity crisis throughout the year as far as like, you know, are we shooting too many threes? Do we need to take it to the rim more? Um, and, you know, after that game, it's like, you know, no, this is what we do. Um, and so we rattled off a few games at the end of, uh, of February and, and, you know, the beginning of March. And, you know, um, then we went to the SEC tournament and we went to the SEC tournament being like, you know, we, we kind of like our path. You know, we, we had the winner of Missouri, Georgia. We ended up playing Missouri. You know, we had um South Carolina who we who we lost to barely at their place earlier the year that we had a little bit of motivation for that game um you know and then we ran into a Florida team that you know won a game in the NCAA tournament before um getting a chance to play Kentucky who we had just beaten at home um you know so I think after that sort of stretch I I actually thought we were kind of capable of what we did um here in the NCAA tournament you know as crazy as it is that we beat you know those three historic programs that the top three you know, winningest programs of all time in college basketball. The fact that we beat them back to back to back is, is, is pretty surreal. But, you know, I, I didn't think going into the NCAA tournament there was anyone playing better basketball than us. I, I'd agree with that. And I think I had said that a couple times on a few episodes ago that Oregon, I kept saying that Oregon was the hottest team in the country. And then you look up and you realize, wait a minute, what Auburn's doing is absolutely incredible. And they've slayed some huge giants. And look, we're, we're both Arizona guys. Guys, last team to slay those winning his programs was Arizona in 97. And I'm sure you know that as well. So you have a special place in our heart for that as well. If there's a team that wanted, that we wanted to replicate that, it was definitely going to be Auburn. That's the only tournament news Arizona got this year. Well, thanks <laughs> to you. So we definitely appreciate that. 
And, and and a little fun fact to go along with that, we actually beat Arizona this year as well. So yeah. Oh, hey, we. Which, no, no, no. Which I, I was thinking that was your seminal moment for this run this year. Was that was probably the come together moment? That was what I was hoping for. But no. So yeah, and look, I'm cool with it because I was saying to ourselves, we were saying to ourselves, look, we lost to Gonzaga, we lost to Auburn. You know, we played a good schedule. We beat Iowa State. I mean, that's about it. We lost to – we went on a six-game losing streak, but it's not about us. Sorry. Taylor, go ahead. <laughs> so I was going to say, um, you know, obviously last year you guys won the SEC as well, and you were actually a four seed rather than a five seed this year. Uh, would, did you have a similar moment last year or comparing the team this year to last year that you would say that uh, you had a same moment that you thought you were going to go on a run last year, or was this year – kind of special when the team kind of came together and you, and you, you know, you knew that we were playing the best basketball arguably in the whole country. Um, you know, I, I, interestingly enough, you know, I don't really think that there was a similar moment last year. Um, I mean, you know, last year that team was, was a, a lot different in its makeup. Um, you know, it, it was, you know, last year we, we went through so much adversity um, with some of the stuff that was going, you know, going on off the court. Um, and so that, that group just kind of banded together, um, you know, and, and, and rattled off some really impressive wins. There wasn't one, any particular moment, but, you know, we just kept bringing our best every single night all throughout the SEC last year. But, but that group, if you'll remember, um, you know, we kind of limped towards the finish and, and, you know, we lost three out of our last five games. You know, we were down, I think by like 12 at one point at home against South Carolina in the game that we needed to win to clinch um, the SEC championship last year. And, and, and part of that is because, you know, our, our starting five man last year had a pretty, pretty uh, gruesome injury um, at South Carolina, you know, in that stretch of the last five games. And so, you know, we were, we were down to like eight guys. We weren't, you know, we weren't flying around the same way that we were at the beginning of the SEC play. Um, and then, you know, you compare it to this year, um, you know, where, we come in, we, we, we come in with all these expectations. Um, you know, we got, we were ranked as high as number seven in the country at one point. Um, and you know, we had, we had a stretch where, you know, we, we lost three games in a row. We were two and four at one point to start conference play. Um, you know, and then, and then Austin Wiley goes down and, and, you know, we had some other guys that get get banged up throughout the course of SEC play, but you know, one of the things is besides one or two games this year, you know, we were never really out of any games. You know, you know, we we played Duke, you know, within within six in Maui, and that gave our guys a lot of confidence. Um, so we kind of really, I, I felt like with this team, you know, much different than last year. I felt like last year's team sort of peaked in the middle of the SEC season. I think I think this team peaked at the end of the season, and I think that's the reason why we went on this run. It's very interesting. I, I, th- I think you're right as well. Because uh, like we had said, Auburn, hottest team entering the tournament and, you know, for the past two weeks. So you made it to the Final Four, and I, I hate to do this to you, Burgo, but I got to bring up the Final Four. I got to bring up that call against Kyle Guy. So this is a two, two-parter, two right? So first and foremost, this is just my thoughts. It was bullshit. Uh, you guys got a job. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I was, I, I was sitting next to Taylor, and I was like, what the fuck is this? But <laughs> – uh, I will commend you and Bruce for being so upstanding and forthright to the media because I would have had my hair on fire. I would have been like, you saw that shit. That was awful. But let me let me ask you this, though, Bert, bro, because you guys did 
present yourself so incredibly well. Take me inside that locker room. Was that the actual sentiment of the team? Or was there a feeling of we kind of got we kind of got jobs? Well, I mean, first, I mean, to take you through kind of my experience, first of all, you know, I, I, first of all, that was my first time ever sitting on like an elevated court like that. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's a really good looking product on TV. And, and, and you know what? It was fantastic, man. Watching like to, to look around and have 70,000 people watching a college basketball game. That was, that was unbelievable. Um, but from my perspective, you know, it was really hard at the end of the game to see down to the other, other end of the court. You'll remember, you know, like the, that final possession went, was on the, the, the rim away from our bench. So, you know, I, 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 when the buzzer went off, I stood up with my hands up. I thought we were going to the national championship. You know, I, I, I was celebrating. Um, and, you know, I, one of our assistants who, who had walked up onto the, onto the court a little bit, turned around and was like, no, they called a foul. Um, and so, you know, for me, in, in, in that moment, I couldn't really see exactly what happened. So I, I don't necessarily have an answer as far as, like, how I felt with that whole deal. Um, what I will say is that the, the locker room, um, it was, we were really shocked because, you know, we, we knew that we, we didn't play our best game. Um, you know, we had a, we, we had a tough stretch at, at the beginning of the second half, a tough 10-minute stretch where, you know, Virginia was really outplaying us. But, you know, we went on a 14 nothing run um, when we were down 57-47 to go up by four. Um, you know, with, with roughly like 16 seconds left. So we, we were just sort of shocked that like you, you don't lose those games. Um, and, and so we, we were all sort of shocked. And, you know, uh, one, of, one of the guys that works in the athletic department with me, um, you know, it was, it was in our locker room after the fact. And he actually was a University of Miami grad, which is also my alma mater. And um, he said, you know, he'd been in one, he'd, you know, he'd been around sports a long time throughout his career. And he said the only time he had ever seen um, a locker room react the same way that ours was. We, we, we were all just kind of shocked. Like coach, coach really couldn't come up with anything to say. Um, the only time you'd ever seen that was like the Miami, Ohio state national championship game with like the late flag. And that's, and that's what he compared it to. And, you know, I think, I think that's like a pretty, pretty good comparison um, as far as at least the moment anyways. I'll tell you what, man, that is a very good diplomatic answer because that call also was bullshit. And Miami got <laughs> Well, so, that is a perfect comparison, a perfect parallel. I think. No, it really is. So, Virgo, you're cut out for this already. <laughs> I wanted to do a follow-up question, though, because I was listening to the Dan Patrick show on Monday, and he had Bruce Pearl on. And Bruce, they, they asked Bruce to take him inside the huddle prior to that shot. Now, Bruce, I think, said that he wanted everyone to switch and that he wanted to shut down that corner. I think he said – he might have even said Kyle Guy is going to get the ball in that corner. Don't let him get it there. And I think what happened was no. I think you guys were trying to fight through. Is that is that compatible with what I heard? Like is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Um, I the, we came out of that huddle thinking you know we were going to switch um, everything off the ball. You know I think what what sort of happened with with that play. Um, and I, you know, I haven't gone back and watched it, you know, um, in its entirety, you know, I've maybe watched a couple clips of, of, of certain things here and there, but, um, you know, I think what happened is it got, it got down to like three, four seconds, uh, you know, after, after that play had started. And I don't necessarily think that was their initial look. I think they were trying to get something towards the rim and it was kind of, you know, it was kind of like he came off a screen sort of late and I don't necessarily know that that was really the option. So I think our guys just sort of miscommunicated and yeah, we ended up trying to fight through and we should have switched it out. Good insight, man. Yeah. 
Was there a, uh, you know, going through the tournament here, obviously you guys went through a, uh, one of the toughest paths with all those great teams that you played. Was there a particular toughest player, let's say, that you guys uh, um, were preparing for throughout that tournament or, you know, anyone in particular that you can point out that was the toughest matchup that you guys had throughout the tournament? Well, you know, I mean, I can't necessarily pinpoint one, but what I will do is I'll, I'll, I'll take you through a little bit, kind of the, the run a little bit is, is like starting with, starting with New Mexico state, right. You know, we had talked, one of the, our biggest strengths all year was our depth and how we played 10 guys. Well, that was a team that played 13 guys. <laughs> and, and, you know, that was a real challenge for us. We had never seen a team like that. I don't think anybody else in college basketball was like that all year, you know? So that was a really unique challenge. And the fact that, you know, they, th- we couldn't really pinpoint down on one guy. Sometimes it's a little bit easier, you know what I'm saying? To, to like, this is the guy we got to stop. These are the two guys we got to stop. But, you know, a team like that where they have 13 guys, um, that, you know, may do some similar things, but, you know, every, any single one of them could go off at any point, you know, that, that was a really big challenge for us. Um, I think then in the second game, you know, Diedrich Lawson is, is, a, is a beast of a basketball player. Um, you know, he plays both four and five and, you know, our, our, our front line was really challenged with him because he's so versatile and all the things he can shoot it, he can score around the rim. You know, he's bigger than our fours, he's quicker than our fives. Um, so he, he was definitely a really challenging player. Um, thinking about, you know, thinking about Carolina, um, you know, we, we were so concerned with Kobe white and how fast he, I mean, I think, you know, one of the big, biggest things that coach Pearl always talked about is that, you know, if he was on Murray state, he'd get the recognition that John Moran gets, you know, he's, he's super fast from end to end, um, really good in a straight line. And, and, you know, that, that was a really fun game, you know, for us because of the pace of play. It was, it was exciting for us to p- play that pace. But, you know, that Kobe White's going to be a great NBA player. And, and um, you know, he was super talented. Um, and then, you know, with, with Kentucky, um, you know, even though he wasn't really healthy, you know, P.J. Washington um, is, is a man's man. And we did not do a very good job guarding him in that game. Luckily, we came out with the, with the victory. But, um, you know, he, another guy that, you know, he's, he's, he's bigger than your fours, quicker than your fives and can, and score multiple levels. So, um, you know, and then, and then obviously, uh, not to, you know, Virginia, the national champions, um, you know, their, their two guards, Ty Jerome and Kyle guy, um, you know, are, are really good players. And, um, you know, and, and Deandre Hunter is, is a top 10 pick that probably doesn't even get as much credit as some, as those guys do, because he's, he's super talented and is really good at just going to get a bucket for them. Um, late in the shot clock, but you know, I was, I was way more impressed by Ty Jerome in person than I necessarily was on film. Um, you know, he just, he, you can't speed him up. He, he just gets to every spot on the floor that he wants to. And, and he, he may not be the biggest, strongest or most athletic guy, but he just, he's just so in control of, of his movements um, and so skilled and so efficient. So, um, you know, well, hats t- off. Ty Jerome's game last night actually probably is a great point of that. You know, you look up, you, you watch the game, and he doesn't necessarily, you know, flash anything. But you look at the stat sheet; he had something like sixteen, seven, and eight last night, or something like that. You know, and when they splashed that up on the screen after the game was over, you were like, "Oh man, I didn't like." Yeah, obviously he's great, but I don't. Just like you said, you, it, it, he's definitely one of those guys that in person must just make a, a much bigger impact than than on film. And I, I guess I do have a follow up question to that, and that is. Um, Obviously, they are the national champions, but was Virginia the best team you played in the tournament? I mean, yeah, yeah, I think I think so. Um, you know, I think I think they're the best team we played in the tournament. Simply in the fact is that they're so 
unapologetic about what they do. Um, you know, everyone talks about, and even going into the national championship game or even this final four that, you know, it's, oh, it's boring. It's, you know, it's Virginia basketball. Who wants to watch that? Man, th- these guys are so good at what they do. They, they, you know, they're the best in the country at controlling the tempo. You know, we, we try to do different things to try and speed them up. And it just, you know, this was one of our lowest possession games that we played all year. And it's just because that's what they do. They're, they're going to run around in circles for 25 seconds off screens. And, and they're really talented players are going to make hard shots. I mean, it's just what they do. And it's, it's so hard to get them to play any other sort of style. And that's why I think they're the best. They were the best team in the tournament this year. Yeah. And I think you you mentioned DeAndre Hunter and I agree that he's very underrated. It's crazy though, because in the first half of last night's game, and I actually think this was the ultimate difference in the first half, the two NBA players, the two top 10 picks, Jared Culver and DeAndre Hunter, were awful. I think they were combined like one of 12 or one of 13 or something like that. Colbert kind of got it going a little bit in the second half, but DeAndre Hunter absolutely exploded. Obviously he hit that big time shot to send it to overtime. I think he finished with a career high. So that second half from DeAndre Hunter, you talk about big time players making big time shots. Kyle Guy had a better overall two games for sure. But if there was one person to give Kyle Guy a run for his money for MOP, it was, it was DeAndre. So Go ahead, Berger. Yeah, no, I think I, I think uh, I think I saw something, and I don't know if it, it held true throughout overtime, but I, I don't think he missed a shot in the second half of the Final Four, which you know, if you talk about clutch, you talk about whatever you want to say. I mean, that's that's really hard to ignore. Yeah, yeah. that'll win you some games. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Hey, so here's an absolute barn burning question that we've had and we've discussed throughout the entire season this year. Is who sweats more, Bruce Pearl or Buzz Williams? Now, if we look at their resumes, Bruce Pearl has shoulder sweat multiple times. But Buzz Williams has also had to take off his suit, like his shirt and his jacket, and straight up wear like a gym shirt, like a shirt as ratty as mine. But he's on a college basketball sideline as a head head coach. Who sweats more, Bruce or Buzz? I mean, I think it's hard to beat Bruce, man. Um, you know, he, he, he's just like, he's just nonstop. And, 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 you know, that's why he's won a lot of games is, just, you know, no matter the opponent, no matter the score, no matter the time, he's going to be the same for 40 minutes or however long it takes. And yeah, he, he, he definitely sweats. I've seen him sweat through a couple suits, which is, you know, an impressive thing to do. So that's, this is a semi-serious question. The equipment managers have to have backup jerseys for players if they get blood on their jersey. Like, is it someone's responsibility to have at least a backup shirt for Bruce? You know, I, I don't think we have that, but that's not a bad idea. We should, we should start doing that. You know, it was I think it was during the Duke game um, at Maui. I think we were wearing like those, you know, you know, in like those tournaments, those uh, early tournaments, you don't yeah. wear suits, you wear like right. polos. I'm pretty sure he made our equipment manager like change shirts with him because he was so sweaty <laughs> in the first half. And it was like, if the game was on ESPN, uh, you know, so I think, I think he basically ripped the shirt off of our equipment manager and, and, and changed into that for the second well, half. I think he still sweat through that one too. It's hot and humid in the Lahaina center. Like, no, no I mean, doubt. That, that is a bad combo. For <laughs> and we were, wearing, we were wearing blue and it was like hot <laughs> material. It was just, someone didn't think that through. Might have been my fault as an operations guy. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> uh, so we got to ask about Okiki as well. Uh, that injury was just absolutely brutal, devastating. Talk to me about the locker room 
after that Carolina win. Obviously, you're elated to go to the Elite Eight, but one of your best players, if not your best player, just suffered a season-ending injury. How does the team balance their emotions in that respect? Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting, right? Because, you know, at the time, it was like, you know, holy cow, we just beat UNC, who I think at the time a lot of people thought was the best team left in, in the 16 teams. We just beat them by 17. Like, it, we didn't just beat them. We beat them by 17 um, with, after an unbelievable second half. Um, so, you know, for me personally, too, and, and as I saw the guys go to the locker room, we were, you know, we were hooting, hollering. We were, you know, talking a lot of crap, and, and we were excited about the win. And I think, you know, as we got into the locker room, you know, Chuma was in there, um, you know, with his knee wrapped up, and, and you know, it, the – the tone of the locker room definitely shifted really quickly um, because Chuma is like one of the most likable guys on the team, but you know, along with being one of our best players, he's probably the most liked person on the team um, just because, you know, he's, he's always funny. He's always upbeat. Um, You know, he's, he's a pretty soft spoken kid, but like he, he has a great heart. And uh, so that it it really hurt some, some of our guys to see him. Um, and, And, you know, I think, it instantly motivated them for you know our next game against Kentucky that you know they got this whole hashtag do it for Chuma trending on 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 social media and stuff like that and so um, you know they they were just trying to play their hardest for for one of their brothers. Couple follow up questions, real quick, Taylor. Sorry, but the injury Kentucky. I think a lot of us saw on social media that uh, it's like a sign. It's like a blanket or a sheet that. One of the fraternities had it was uh, Chuma on uh, like a, a scooter. Did yeah, your team that. see that? Did Did your team see that? And what was the reaction when they saw that? There, there were a couple guys that saw it. Actually, I think one of our guys who, you know, probably is a little bit too active on social media, actually like commented on it before the game. <laughs> um, oh no! Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just you know he he, he likes to type, um, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so we uh, we I mean I didn't see it until after the game. I know some of our guys saw it, but you know it's just another thing. Like, you know, he's a great kid. You know, you don't need to be disrespectful. Um, and so that I think that was an added motivation for some guys that saw that. Okay, and then just my last follow up question to this Okiki thing. This isn't me being disrespectful. I swear. You got to be honest with me though. Was the halftime show up to the game at halftime for the hotel? Was that was that calculated? Tell me that was that, that had someone called him. Someone sent out the Okiki signal, and and like that had to have been a Bruce Pearl brilliant mental sort of edge. Like we're gonna bring Okiki in at halftime, and we're gonna whoop their ass second half. That's what you know, happened. You know, I, I'm not sure. You know, I think I know. I know. I know. Coach Pearl, <laughs> the director of operations, isn't sure if this was planned or not. Yeah. Okay. No. I, no. I mean, I don't. I don't. I, I don't think it was planned. You know, I know. I know. Coach went and saw him before the game like before we were about to leave as a team to go to the game and, and asked him if he wanted to come um and i think at the time you know because he, he hadn't had surgery yet this is this is two days after the injury i think he was in a lot of pain and didn't want to get up out of bed um you know i think funny little story i think as soon as we got back as soon as he got back from the hospital he actually bought like the the harry potter like movie series and so he was just watching harry potter movies the entire time that he was laying there in bed i, I guess he's a, a big fan i didn't know that um <laughs> But um, so he uh, 
yeah, so I guess he he was his mom and his brother were there with him, and so I guess what he said was, you know, he felt like he needed to be there at halftime. Um, you know, it was it was great. We were all definitely motivated, and we came out really strongly in that that second half. Uh, but yeah, it does it. You know, looking back at it, it does probably seem like we did it on purpose, but I don't I don't think we did. So. I mean, I'm cool. Like, look, leave it to me to ruin a really nice moment. But if if I know Bruce Pearl, and I obviously don't know him as well as you. I just feel like that is a classic Pearl thing to do. Yeah. Use he he our sister Jean there for a second. <laughs> well, speaking of our man Bruce there, and I know you brought this up earlier in a negative manner, and that was, you know, Bruce after the, the loss there in the final four, couldn't figure out the right words to say. But that lends to a question. Have you ever seen Bruce Pearl speechless before? I feel like that's a pretty rare sight to, to behold. You know, um, I, I haven't. I don't think I've ever seen him speechless before. Uh, you know, but he. I mean, he's always. You know, he's always talking, man. That's just. That's just what he does. He's. He's. You know, a really good. He's. He has great people skills. He's a really good communicator. Um, you know, and he. And he. He's nonstop. He's the energizer bunny on the sideline. And and um, you know, his teams have always played really hard, and that's a product of him being like that. Um, but no, I don't. I don't think I've ever seen him speechless before. If you run into Bruce at the grocery store, what's the minimum amount of time you're spending in the aisle with him? Like half hour, forty five minutes until you're out of there. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna talk your ear off about something. Uh, you know, we've we've uh, we've you know been back for two days, and um, you know, you know, we've been in the office, and he's just you know, and this is what makes him great, but he's just, right. he's all over the place and, and, you know, <laughs> always got these new ideas on how to make us better. And, and he doesn't know anything other than to work, you know, that's, it's, it, it's hard, you know, we, because there's, we don't get to play basketball again for a long time, but you know, we, we were, we've been in the office this week, just trying to get, get after it as much as we can. That's awesome, man. Hey, who's the coolest Auburn alum you've met? Cause I'm assuming you've been around a lot of ex or former athletes, we're currently in the pros, maybe no longer in the pros. Who's the coolest Auburn athlete you've met? Uh, I mean, I think you got to go Barkley. That's, I mean, I've met, I've met Barkley a couple times. Um, and, you know, he he's the man. You know, he, he, he is who he is on TV. He's not putting on an act. That's just who he is. Um, but, he, you know, he's a, he's a great representation of Auburn. And, and it's really fun to pick his brain, um, you know, about not only – basketball but what else is just going on in the world he's he's not you know bashful about telling you what he thinks um and so you know we've we've had dinners with him at the final four before and and you know he comes to you know a few games a year um you know him and coach have a have an event that they do together so he, he's around you know more than you'd think um and so he yeah he's he's definitely the coolest by far that's pretty sweet it's not bad <laughs> You got anything else there for our man, Virgo? I do. Uh, how much coaching impact did me and Mark have on you? I mean, like, I like to think that you're just following in our footsteps at this point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're basically on the same level. Uh, no. <laughs> but, yeah, no. So, yeah, you guys, I think it was I, was I was either third or fourth grade you guys coached me. And, you know, I was, I was, I was saying before we started recording, but I, I blame you guys you know, for the reason that I'm not playing anymore and that I'm already coaching at the age of 24. So, um, you know, I think you guys, you know, you guys derailed my career from an early age. No, but no, I, you know, I remember, um, I, I had a, you know, and, and from what I can remember, man, I, you know, I really looked up to you guys as, as coaches and, you know, you guys obviously played basketball too. So, 
um, that was always really cool for me growing up, you know, all the summer camps and stuff like that. So appreciate it, man. Virgo, you're going to make a brown man blush, dude. Come on. <laughs> uh, we'll let, hey, we'll let you go out on this, though, because I think it, it's a really neat story, your your story. Uh, tell the theater goers how you got into coaching, right? So how did you – because it's difficult for a lot of – for a lot of people to kind of grasp the fact that, yeah, you were at the final four on the sideline right there, front and center. How uh, talk about your ascension into, into, you know, getting to the final four and, and, and your, your coaching trajectory really. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know that I wanted to do this um, <laughs> until, until a few years ago. Um, you know, I, I always loved basketball, um, you know, loved basketball to a fault, even to the point where even growing up, like, you know, the way I'm built, I probably should have played a lot more football, but, you know, I couldn't stay out of open gyms or anything like that, even though I, you know, I was just okay. I was never great. Um, and so, you know, I went to the university of Miami, um, you know, trying to pursue a finance degree. And, you know, when I first got there was, you know, I played sports my whole life. I'd always played three, three seasons of sports in high school. So there was a lot of absence, just like going to class and not doing anything else. Um, you know, and so I somehow stumbled into being a, a, a student manager for the University of Miami basketball team. Um, and, and that year, my freshman year was the year that, um, you know, they had like Shane Larkin um, yeah. and, and, and won the ACC regular season and tournament championships and went to the Sweet 16. So, you know, seeing that from year one of being a part of, a part of, college, a part of college basketball, excuse me, um, you know, it, it really sparked my interest. And then I, I stuck with that for four years. Um, to the point where I was, you know, lucky enough to be, you know, a, a senior manager on a, another Sweet 16 team that, you know, lost to the eventual national champion um, Villanova Wildcats um, in 2016. Um, and so from there, I realized this is what I really wanted to do. Um, and so, you know, I really leaned on um, my mentors at the University of Miami to help me, you know, find out what was next and, and you know, based on their advice, it was to go be a grad graduate assistant for another program. Um, and so I wound up at Auburn, um, you know, randomly enough, um, you know, I, there was no real connection there besides, you know, a mentor at Miami and a, a, a now mentor at Auburn knowing each other. Um, so I, I was at Auburn for a year and a half as a graduate assistant and then, you know, worked my way to, to get added to the staff. Um, and, you know, for me, you know, I've, I've always, the biggest lesson I probably learned from the University of Miami and the lesson that I've learned from, um, you know, Auburn so far is, you know, when, when you're young and you don't have a ton of experience or a ton of, of, you know, network, the best thing you can do is just, you know, work your ass off for the people that are there in front of you on a daily basis. Um, and I think that's probably the reason why I'm in this position today. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know what the future holds, but um, it's awesome to be a part of this coaching staff at Auburn. You know, I think one people talk about chemistry in a locker room all the time. They don't necessarily ever talk about chemistry in a coaching staff. And, and man, these like these are some of my really good friends and mentors, and and you know, people from all over the place. And it's it's so awesome to go into work every day. And I, I I think that's a key part of why we you know were able to go on this run because it's a grind. It's it's definitely a grind. You know, Virgo. Um, from what I'm hearing, though, is that you might be the rabbit's foot of the Miami and Auburn programs. I mean, the schools have combined for five conference championships. 
you've been there for two of them and, and very non-basketball powerhouses. So I'm not saying, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, I'm, if you need to throw that on a resume, perhaps, you know, I, I'm, I'm true. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I might, I might need to throw that on a resume. It's a great point. <laughs> you know, I, I never thought of that before, but, uh, um, no, I think I've just been in the right place at the right time. So no, that's no coincidence, man. I'll tell you what, I don't think you can get any more polar opposite than Jim Laranega and Bruce Pearl. Just <laughs> Yeah, you're probably right. So you're able to work with, with uh, a diverse group of individuals. But, hey, Virgo, really appreciate you hop, hopping on this episode. And incredible stories, great insight. And, again, congratulations on an incredible run. Best of luck moving forward, all right? Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's really cool that you guys are doing this. I'm, I'm definitely going to tune in going forward all the time. And, and I got to catch up on some of the episodes I've missed. So appreciate it, man. Yeah, anytime. All right, Burger. All right, take care.